book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 12 to 18. And you'll find that on page 1179 in the church Bibles. 1179. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verses 12 to 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Fathers, we've already uh, heard sung to us, we, we seek your face. Lord, we don't understand all that takes place in our lives and all that is going on, but we know that you're a faithful God and we desire to give ourselves wholeheartedly to you, knowing that you're a good and loving God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word, thank you for speaking to us. And we pray that these words would be deeply imprinted on our hearts and lives by your Spirit. Lord, help us to obey what is here. Help us to live in such a way that we will shine like stars in this dark city of Edinburgh. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, how can you no supernatural power at work in your life. You know, if Christianity is a supernatural faith, then how is God's work known in our lives? What will be the evidence of it? There's a lot of interest in these sort of questions these days. It's something that people are really interested in, how to access power. Uh, this weekend uh, at the Royal Concert Hall, I'm going to put on the next slide, Uh, You could go to the Glasgow Body and Soul Fair. In fact, you could be there right now. And you'd learn about how to tap into into physical and spiritual power. That's what's on offer. I don't know how many people attend uh, such a conference in Scotland, but there are over 60 exhibitors going to be present. I saw on the website yesterday. 
uh, in Spokane, in Washington State, where we used to live, they had an annual um, event called um, Celebrating Body, Mind, and Spirit. It was a big expo, and, and tens of thousands of people used to flock to this uh, event every single year in Spokane. It drew huge crowds. I, back in 2002, I got hold of the brochure for the event, and as I read through it, it I, I, I've lost it, sadly, but I, I put some of the details down here um, to for remind me. But they, they, lots of offers of how you can tap into forces greater than yourselves. If you're a woman, you could have discovered from Suzanne Deakins about your sacred sexuality, uh, that your feminine energy is the receptacle for the God force, the higher self, the truth and spirit to manifest in life. Well, what an event. And men, if you're feeling left out, no, there's, there's stuff for you too. Uh, there was a man called Joseph, whose life work is to restore, and I quote, humankind to the divine creative source and to one's own totality and spiritual nature. There we are. And in this seminar, he's offering what's called the awakening, which quickly will move you to the next level in human evolution and spiritual transformation. Through highly experiential meditation, visualization, and energetic practices, that would be interesting, Joseph was going to facilitate a soul reconstruct which repairs, realigns, and restructures the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual body so that the soul can fully anchor into the body at the subatomic level. This process, that continues, opens the pathway to the divine and to your spiritual nature, activating your DNA strands and empowering you to be all that you are meant to be. All of that for a mere $40. What a great deal. Now, there are many different spiritualities in the marketplace today, aren't they? All offering uh, different ways to experience divine power, to know a greater force within our lives. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about this. None of this... These ideas are really that new. Now, this is called New Age Spirituality, but really it's just old age paganism, I think. Uh, what does God's Word have to say about these worldly philosophies? Well, look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. They represent, I think, more darkness in a crooked and twisted generation. I read these things and I think, well... People have rejected the true and living God. And instead they want to swallow anything else apart from that reality. People instead don't want to worship God. They want to worship and idolize themselves. You know, all the seminars in Glasgow, I looked through the list, all of them are about you, about self. Tibetan singing bowls, dowsing, and uh, the, the, my favorite seminar, 10 tips on how to love yourself. You know, I just needed another list. <laughs> what it's all about self is all centering on self. People have rejected uh, the biblical historical faith to believe fairy tales of their own imaginations. The expo in Spokane had all the bizarre elements uh, you can think of, from crop circles to magic to angelic guides. It was all on offer. It's all on offer out there. And so on a day when people are getting taught all sorts of strange and alluring teaching, we need to get clear about what true spirituality is. As Christians, we do believe that we can be in touch with the divine. 
You can come to know God through a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, His Son. We believe as Christians that we can know God Himself at work in our lives. Have a look at verse 13 in our text today. For it is God who works in you. It's not that we're disinterested about God being at work. We're just finding out from God how He actually is at work, rather than making it up ourselves. Well, what is the evidence of God working in our lives according to the Apostle Paul? Well, the first thing that Paul would say to you is the evidence that God's at work in your life is that you are working out. That's what's in verses 12 to 13. You are working out. Now, this is not a, uh, an advertisement for health clubs. Just look at verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. What is the evidence that God is at work in us? Well, verse 12 says, the evidence that God is at work in us is that we are at work. We are working out our own salvation. Now, if you've read the Bible for a while, and if you keep reading on to chapter 3, you'll, you'll know what this does not mean. It does not say work for your salvation. Uh, we cannot do anything that will save us from God's anger at our sin and rebellion. However nice we are to other people and to animals and puppies, there is nothing we can do as sinners to impress a holy God. We are rebellious people. A people that are under his wrath and judgment. And Jesus Christ alone is the hope of salvation. It's only because of what he achieved for us on the cross that we have any hope of salvation. This is not a, a verse about working for our salvation. It's a verse about working out the implications of our salvation. Well, we had news today, didn't we, of an engagement. And hopefully a, a wedding day will uh, follow. And when you get married, uh, you say those words in front of the assembled group. And uh, after you've said those words, it's not as if you can work any harder to be married. When you're married, you're married, aren't you? But the rest of your life does involve you working out the implications of being married. And, and it's the same here. When God has done a work in our lives by his Holy Spirit, making us born again, trusting the Lord Jesus, receiving his forgiveness of sins, we are saved. We are saved in a sense that we know what will be the judgment on the final day. God's wrath will not be poured on us because Christ has already had it poured upon him. We know that on that day we will be saved and it's given to us as a sure thing. You are now saved. You cannot be any more saved than that. And yet we go through life working out the implications of that salvation. We need to live our lives in the light of that salvation. And that's been Paul's big concern as he writes this letter to these young Christians in Philippi. He had gone there, shared the gospel with them. Many had believed it. A church had been formed and he'd left them. He was now in prison. He was a long way from them. And he's writing out a concern for them as a church. And he wants them to live out the implications of what Jesus had done 
for them, what he had already done in their lives, to live it out. Look back at chapter 1, verse 27. This is the main application of the book. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He doesn't just want them to be lip Christians who just say they're Christians with their lips. He wants them to be lip and life Christians, people who live out the implications of their faith, that they, they, they live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So how can we know that God's at work in our lives? Should we feel power coursing through our bodies like an electric shock? Should I feel constantly high? Should I be able to read people's minds and have power to heal people? Well, all these things are claimed to be on offer at the Body and Soul events in Glasgow today and another New Age festivals. Look closely at verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do you see where God is at work? He's not about the business of being a magician or an ecstatic power supply that we're supposed to tap into. He is at work in our mind and heart in order to change our will. It is God who works in you to will. God is at work at a very fundamental level to give us internal desires to obediently work for his pleasure. He's at work changing people who are rebellious, selfish, self-absorbed sinners who would love to go to a seminar on ten more reasons why I should love myself and to save them from that foolishness to think, no, actually, I want to live so that I may love God and love other people. And when you see that radical change happening in people's lives from self-absorption to a life that is focused on Christ and his people, well, what's going on? God is at work. God's mighty power is at work in that. He is working in us to change our wills so that we want to obediently work for his pleasure, to work according to his good purposes. And the evidence that God is at work in people is that they have a healthy fear and trembling at this reality that God's at work. God's at work in them. God's at work amongst his people. And when we know that God is at work, that is an awesome thing. That is a thing that produces a holy reverence and fear. Work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I think uh, in many times past, we as Christians have kind of gone, fallen off both ends on this. There have been... Um, Teachings in the past, it used to be that the Keswick Convention was known to advocate uh, a, that there was a Christian experience possible where you could live an extra special higher place. Now that's long changed, it's much more kosher teaching now at Keswick. I enjoy going to Keswick. But it used to be, there used to be mottos like, let go and let God. As if, in a sense, our big problem is that we're trying too hard. Just, just relax and it's all going to happen. Well, that's not what we see here in, in Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13, is it? It says quite the opposite. It's not as if being a Christian, you can get to some super-duper spiritual high place where it's just a breeze, it's easy, it's painless. No, we will have to continuously work out. That's the sense of um, uh, 
that continue to work. It is a continuous present, continuously work out the significance of our saved Christian lives. We as Christians are committed to hard work, to keep working out the implications, however tough they are. That, and, and as we do that, as we read God's words, uh, God's word, and as we seek to obey it and diligently follow through on it, that is a sure sign that God is at work. And Paul writes to them and says, look, whether I get out of prison or not, whether I get to visit with you or not, you need to keep on keeping on as a church. Imagine, I don't know, if you were, I was chatting with Graham Penman this week, and, and uh, Graham is now in charge of the uh, YPM, and just saying to Graham now, imagine you, he was going on holiday in the summer, and he, I think off to Cyprus, and uh, let's say he gets to Cyprus, they find out he's a Christian, they lock him up. And he's got to write letters back to the YPMers. And let's just imagine the whole church disappears and they're all on their own. Well, what sort of things would you write? You know that they were trusting Jesus when you were last with them. They were reading the scriptures together. They were trying to obey the scriptures. Well, you're far from them. And what's your greatest longing? That they would keep going on. He's concerned. He's not with them. What's going to happen? And so he writes to them. He says, look, keep on keeping on. Let me tell you, Christian, if your Christian life has been tough this week, if you've been struggling to faithfully obey Christ, and it's been hard work, but you've been struggling on, God is at work in your life. Has Christian service been tough this week, been unrewarding, discouraging, and yet you're persevering? It's a sure sign that God is at work. Have you experienced great setbacks, painful circumstances, and yet you're still here today praising a faithful God? I can assure you that that is, that is sure evidence that God is at work in your life. Now that's the, the general application here. What I find fascinating is the specific application. What do they need to keep working out? What does it he points out to and one of the surprises of this passage is to see the specific way that Paul applies this idea of working out our salvation. We tend to think about this in personal applications, don't we? Well, you know, we hear this and we go, yes, so I need to grow uh, as a Christian in my own walk. I need, to, I need to work out my own salvation. I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to be more sanctified and more holy. Yes, all good, all good. But Paul's application is not personal but corporate. His application is to them as the whole church in Philippi. And if I'm to summarize that application, I would put it this way. His application is this. Stop whining and keep shining. That's his application. Stop whining, keep shining. I think this is just as relevant today. Stop whining and keep shining. And I, I find it fascinating as I read God's word that the lofty theological truths about Jesus, if we, if we think back to um, what, what has been there in chapter 2, that this amazing Christ hymn, how about his self-humbling, coming from glory, uh, being incarnated as a, as a man, going to the cross, and then uh, the, the, the resurrection, the exaltation of Christ. These glorious truths are applied to something that to us seems so mundane and small and insignificant. But there is in verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. Can you imagine getting this letter personally addressed to us? 
from the Apostle Paul. Let's say Paul was writing to Charlotte Chapel. He was saying to us, Therefore, my dear friends, because the God of glory humbled himself to become a man and die in the place of sinners and is now exalted by God the Father to the highest place, would you just stop grumbling and complaining? Would you? That's what he's saying. Could you just do church together without whining and quarreling? Couldn't we? Now, complaining and arguing, I think, are acceptable sins as evangelicals, aren't they? We have a, we have a, we have a grade of sins, one list, really, really bad stuff, never do that. But this stuff, this is okay. Acceptable sins. And I think complaining or arguing is on that list. But we need to be warned. As we read our Old Testaments, as we did this morning... One of the sure signs of unbelief and the beginnings of apostasy is this. Complaining and arguing. This is what marked the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness. They kept grumbling. The same word here. They kept grumbling together against their leader Moses. And so, actually, they were really grumbling against God. So much so that Moses declared at the end of his life, they were no longer God's children. Weren't those sobering words from, Exodus, uh, from Deuteronomy? Very sobering words. You are no longer God's children. Because they were so blemished. They had become a crooked and twisted generation. God's ancient people described as crooked and twisted. Their sickened spiritual state was showed in this simple way. They were often given to grumbling, complaining, arguing with each other, arguing with their leaders. Now, I want to suggest that these things are written down to warn us. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, isn't it? These things are recorded to teach us on whom um, the ages find their fulfillment or language like that. This is a very helpful passage, isn't it, as we approach a church business meeting. I hear you've had some terrific ones in recent years and some terrible ones in times past. So praise God, we've had better ones. But this is a great text to think about before we come to a church business meeting, isn't it? And Paul wanted to remind them, and it's still true for us, that, that we are called to live very different lives as a church community. We know as we read through Philippians that these two great ladies, Yoda, Yodia and Syntyche, they get mentioned in chapter 4, they were having sharp disagreements. And no doubt others were being pulled in to take sides. Misery enjoys company, doesn't it? And if others can be brought into our unhappiness, then the more the better. Well, Paul knew how serious the issue is. Do you know the credibility of the apostolic gospel was at stake? This is what's at stake in complaining and grumbling. The clarity of the gospel itself. What's the church's job? Well, put simply in this passage, the church's job is to shine. Isn't that a beautiful expression? Shine like stars in the universe. A beautiful expression. In times past, we used to sing, Jesus wants me as a sunbeam. He wants, we are stars. We are the stars. We are the, we're the bright lights in Edinburgh. Do you know that? As you drive around, see all these lights in the buildings. Actually, the real bright lights of Edinburgh... 
you're amongst them. We're it. The church's job is to shine. Philippi in the first century is just like Edinburgh in the 21st century. And I think Paul's description is just as true today uh, that we live in a dark and crooked and twisted generation. We really do. There's lots of wonderful things in Edinburgh. As I drive down the Lothian Road, I see things that sicken my heart. I see shops and businesses that look very tidy and clean who are promoting depravity. And they're doing very well. It is a twisted and dark culture we live in. And so what should we do as a church? We should be a bright, shining light. And there's two elements that are needed for us to be a, a church that shines. Uh, look at verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. You see exactly the opposite to the, uh, God's ancient people that, you, that Moses was speaking about. They were no longer God's children. But no, you are the children. And, and why they become um, full of blame, we are to be blameless and pure. In which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. We will shine as lights in this world when we do what? Hold fast to the word of life. When we hold out the word of life here in Edinburgh. We need to be a church that is sticking to the biblical gospel, that is sticking to God's words. And look at the way that it's described. It is the word of life. This is God's breathed out word. It is a living word. It is a word that gives eternal life. It is a word that takes people from spiritual death to spiritual life. And, and we have this word. And we are to hold it out. This message of the gospel uh, to this culture that is crooked and twisted and depraved and in darkness and needing God's light. That's what we're supposed to do. And we must never let go of God's word. We must never let go of the gospel. Churches that have lost the biblical gospel are a waste of time. They're a lighthouse without a lamp. But you know, having said that, it's not enough that we say we believe the biblical gospel. The second key element in these verses, did you see it? Is not only that we hold it out and say we believe it, but that we live it out. Here is the very thing that is dimming the light at Philippi. The good news about Jesus who humbled himself to die on a Roman cross to pay for our sins leaves us no place for human pride. In fact, it should stir us up to humble, sacrificial service of others. And, and, and if there in Philippi were a bunch of people telling others about the message of how others can be reconciled to God and to each other, well, how can you proclaim that if at the same time the truth is that when you get together with God's people, it is full of conflict or divisions and arguments. It doesn't match up, does it? Here's good news. That reconciles man to God and, 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 and men and women to each other. Wonderful. You go to that church, all they're doing is arguing. All they're doing is being divisive and negative. Well, you see, the glory of the, of the light of the gospel is being dimmed, isn't it, at that point? It's like a great big blackout shade being put over the light. 
We must hold out the word of life and we must live it out. They needed to keep working out their salvation in a very practical way. They needed to stop whining and keep shining. The hard work that each person needed to commit to was of conducting their church life together without complaining or arguing. Is that hard? Is that hard to do? Do you think? I think it is. Because I look around and there's so many awkward sinners in this room. Not me, I mean, I'm, I'm really very straightforward. It's all you that's the problem, but you're sitting there going, no, it's all the other people are the problem. I'm very straightforward, I don't know what their problem is. No, you see, it is very hard, isn't it? But when we live together as God's people, without complaining or arguing, that is an evidence that God is at work. That really is, isn't it? That, that is the way we show ourselves to be faultless children of God, blameless and pure. And then, when we're like that, as we hold out the word of life, we will not be obscuring the brilliance of, of the gospel life, but instead it will be shining through us. Now, how can we at Charlotte make a difference in Edinburgh? How can we shine as people... Uh, shine so that people can come and receive life. Is it, is it by having great drama or great music or a great building or, with lots of facilities? If it's great drama, then they can go to the many theatres and playhouses here in Edinburgh. There's some great ones here. If, if, it's, if it's great music, well, the truth is they can go hear professional orchestras and the best bands. They all come through Edinburgh, don't they? If it's great facilities, well, they can go to leisure centers and conference exhibition halls. The one thing that uh, people will not get at these different places is the one thing that we have. It is the gospel. It is the word of life. What will make us special as a church in Edinburgh is if we hold fast to this gospel, our church will shine before a lost and twisted generation if they see us as a church living changed lives in obedience to the gospel. And my hope and prayer is that people come amongst us, that that's what they notice. Here are a people with a common gospel purpose. Here are people with a common gospel mind. In fact, the mind of Christ, they seem to have amazing humility and thankfulness. And you know what? It's not like work. At work, they're always backbiting. It's always one-upmanship. So is who can get higher by stepping on other people. Not in this church. They're not about promoting self. They're about encouraging each other. Promoting Christ. They, they don't give way to bickering all the time. They're not complaining. They're not arguing. When people come amongst us in that way, the glory of the gospel, my friends, will shine in this city. Don't you think? Wouldn't that not be a remarkable evidence that God is at work? And that's what Paul longs for. He longs for it amongst the Philippians. Their conduct counts. That the world is watching. So stop whining and keep shining. And thirdly, he wants them to know in verses 17 to 18 that this is joyful worship. The, the Christian publishing music industry has brought a lot of confusion about worship. It's, it's become about epic music events that give people a buzz with celebrity worship leaders who are the new high priests we, after the event, can get the CD and the T-shirt. Uh, and that's what worship is. 
Well, look at what worship is in these verses. They're difficult verses, but in essence, Paul is telling them that not only is the world watching, but that he's watching them too. He's watching them very closely from a distance. How they are living is a reflection on his work of bringing the gospel to them. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. The Apostle Paul has been running hard, purposefully working hard towards this goal of having them stand as a group of Christians blameless before God on the final day. Do you remember his prayer at the very first uh, chapter? That's what he's praying towards. That's what he's been working towards. A group of Christians, a church that will stand blameless and faultless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness uh, that comes through faith in Jesus. That's what he's working towards. And he's worked hard, hasn't he? And like a good workman who takes pride in his job being well done, he longs that he can take pride in them, that they will be a shining testimony to the power of the gospel all the way up to the final day. In, we moved to um, Spokane, Washington in 2002, and I'll never forget the day I walked into a particular McDonald's restaurant. I noticed one of the people working there had a badge, and the badge said, Employee of the Month. Isn't that great? They were the Employee of the Month, and they got a special badge. What a fantastic accolade. What was a bit sadder was what was written underneath. Employee of the Month. July 1992. (laughs) It's a tragedy to peak too soon, isn't it? Here was a badge to 10 years of lackluster service. Now, Paul knows that they've made a great start. Verse 12, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, I mean, he's just full of joy as he sees the Philippians. He, he remembers their early faith, their, their confidence standing in Christ, their obedience to the gospel, whatever it took. You know, as you've always obeyed in my presence, now much more in my absence. Continue to work this out. He wants them to keep working out their own salvation and keep at it for the rest of their days. I rejoice, my friends, that some of you have been following Christ and serving Christ for 50 years, 60 years, that's terrific. You've not stopped yet. You know? Don't blow it now. Keep working out your salvation. Retirement happens on that translation to glory. Where shall I be when the Lord returns or when you die? Each one of us. Okay, we made a great start in the past. That's wonderful. We were, we were, we were great in camps a few years ago, and we were so for the Lord Jesus. Now, that, that's terrific. We thank God for that. But today, keep working out your salvation. Oh, we praise God for 200 years of wonderful history in this church. That's terrific. But it's irrelevant. Today, we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in us. We will honor all that is past by today holding out the word of life, shining 
uh, like stars in this crooked and depraved generation today as we continue to work it out. And you know what? As we work hard as a group of people seeking God's grace not to be whining, complaining, arguing people, but instead working together to see the gospel advance in this city. As we do that, Paul says, that is worship. Verse 17. He's describing what they're doing as the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. All of this striving together, this attempt to be a different community by God's grace, that is worship. That is the, the, the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. And Paul takes up the Old Testament language of worship, which was in those days pointing forward to Jesus. And for them, it was about bringing animal sacrifices before God. And he says to them, look, as you stop whining and keep shining, that obedience is, is a sacrificial offering of faith. That's a life of true worship. Keep at it. And do you know what? As he expends his energies as the apostle, as his life is being poured out for them, and if it should come that at the end of this prison time he is martyred, well, that sacrifice would just be a small little drink offering added on to the much more substantial offering of their faith. And, you know, he is just thrilled. If, if that is what God calls him to do, he is happy to give his life even to death as an act of worship to God. And he encourages them to have the same joy that he has at the thought of pouring out his life for the sake of them and for the sake of the spread of the gospel. He rejoices and he says, rejoice with me. This is worship, isn't it? Being a loving, united church that jointly is engaged in holding out the word of life. And this labor is a joyful labor, my friends. To see God at work amongst us is a happy labor. And we need to have our eyes attuned, not so much to the problems, because problems you will always have with you. There will always be problems in this church. There will always be things that wrinkle and annoy and frustrate, because it is a fallen, sinful world, and we are, by God's grace, only changing uh, bit by bit to glory. But if we only focus on those things, my friends, we will become complainers and arguers. But if we have our eyes fixed on the ways that God is at work, we will be full of joy and thanksgiving. About a month or so ago now, Alistair MacLeod was inducted as the senior pastor of Billericay Baptist Church in Essex. And David Dennis uh, went down, uh, took the overnight bus, uh, to send them greetings from our church. Now, Alistair, I am told, studied in Edinburgh, between 1987 and 92. And he became a Christian while at Charlotte Chapel. He, he got baptized here. He looks back at his time at Charlotte as being very influential on his life. Isn't that wonderful? Now that's just one little specific circumstance. Week in, week out, lives are being changed and transformed here through the power of the gospel because people are loving and reaching out and, and, and humbly serving to the glory and the praise of God. And we should rejoice at such a thing, should we not? For it is a wonderful thing that God is at work 
here. You know, our joyful and united labor is not in vain. It's not in vain. So let's continue. This week, at this business meeting, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, God is at work in us. Let's do everything without complaining or arguing, because such a life is worthy of this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. You would help me this week, or this coming month, or in the year ahead, if you find me complaining or arguing, would you just stop me and say, Paul, stop whining. Keep shining. Would you do that to me? Because I'm just as prone as the next man or woman to complain or argue. Wouldn't that be a great thing to do to each other? Uh, in our coffee time today, if you find people start to complain or argue, why don't you just lovingly turn to them, put your hand on their shoulder and say, stop whining. <laughs> Keep shining. What a happy way we could encourage each other. I feel your pain. Now stop whining. Keep shining. Let's keep working at this salvation as God's people together. Let's seek his grace. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, we want to thank you for your word. In truth, Lord, it's a bit too sharp. It's a bit too close for comfort. But we thank you that it's so practical and real. And we thank you that you're at work in us. We thank you that your word is a living word, sharper than a two-edged sword. And we ask your forgiveness for the ways that we give way to bitterness and complaint. And Father, we see from your word how serious it is. And we ask that you would purify us, redeem our lives, Give us grace to be people who will not give way to bitterness and complaint, but instead be more aware of your grace than the problems and be people of praise and thanksgiving. Lord, we ask this for our own good, but we ask it too that we may be a bright light of the gospel in this city. We ask this in Christ's precious name.